Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 481. I think this is a fun one because our guest, Drew, is talking all about fun and bringing more humor into work, how it's done well, not so well, and the real impact that makes. So you'll learn, one, the power of humor on your work-life productivity. Two, how to craft good work humor that considers medium, audience, and purpose. And three, three specific situations when not to use humor at work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F481. Now, here's Drew's story. Andrew Tarvin is the world's first humor engineer, teaching people how to get better results while having more fun. Combining his background as a project manager at Procter & Gamble with his experience as a stand-up comedian, he reverse engineers the skill of humor in a way that's practical, actionable, and gets results in the workplace. Through his company, Humor That Works, Drew has worked with more than 35,000 people at over 250 organizations, including Microsoft, the FBI, and the International Association of Canine Professionals. He's a best-selling author, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Fast Company, and his TEDx talk has been viewed more than 4 million times. He loves the color orange, is obsessed with chocolate, and can solve a Rubik's Cube, although it will take him seven full minutes. So thanks to Drew for hanging out, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Drew. Drew, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for for having me on such a nicely titled podcast. Oh, oh, thank you. Yes, I like the direct approach. Um, I want to hear all sorts of things from you, but first I want to hear about how you're left-handed except when it comes to shooting pool. What's the story here? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Growing up, I was, you know, everything would, would go left-handed, which is not so great when you're doing handwriting. And then, you know, I tried shooting pool and I could not shoot left-handed. It was just weird and awkward. So then I switched to the right side and it worked, uh, which is bizarre. So everything else, you know, I write left-handed, I throw a baseball left-handed, I cut paper with left-handed scissors and all that but shooting pool it's it's on the right side and so i don't i don't know what that says about me i don't know what that means for coordination but uh that's just a fun fact yeah and i wonder about like darts or bowling darts is still yeah i mean yeah you think of like the pool hall games it's mostly yeah darts is still left-handed i try to act like i'm ambidextrous 
that I can use right-handed. And in fact, my handwriting is almost as good with my right-handed as, as it is with my left hand. But that's just because my left-handed writing is so terrible that whatever the ha- right hand does is, isn't that bad in comparison. You know, handwriting was, I believe, my worst subject in my entire academic career. Yeah. And people were like, you're going to need this for your, the entire rest of your life. And now a computer's like, no, no, actually I don't. I mean, I sign things, but aside from that, don't really do much handwriting. Well, I want to dig into your career. You are a humor engineer, intriguing, and you've studied humor in the workplace for many years. Can you share with us uh, what's perhaps uh, one of the most fascinating and surprising discoveries you've made as you you've dug into this topic? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a surprise for, for many people, especially when they hear my background. So they, they maybe see me speak and like, how did you get into this? And like, well, I got a degree in computer science and engineering. And they're like, that, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, it doesn't seem like the background to then get into stand up comedy and do speaking and all that for a living. But I think that's part of what led me to one of the biggest realizations is that humor is a skill. I think a lot of times we think of humor, making people laugh, being jovial in certain ways is kind of just something that you're born natural, able to do. And if, you know, if you can do it, great. But if you can't, you know, you're kind of out of luck. But that's the big learning is that, you know, it's something that we can learn that there's an art and science to using humor, which means that we can teach this, the humor side, the the science part of it, while also allowing people to practice the art side of it as well. Well, intriguing. And and so I want to dig into the the art and science and, and the skill building and how, how we can all have more of it. But I want to hear a little bit about the why first. So you have make an argument that humor is not just kind of, oh, nice to have. It would be a little bit more fun if we could have it, but but rather like a, a must have or, or a critical source of of advantage. Can you can share some of these benefits with us? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so part of it comes from the, the realization that 83% of Americans are stressed out at work, that 55% are unsatisfied with their jobs, and that 47% struggle to stay happy. And so it leads to this recognition that, you know, with 70% of the workforce being disengaged, it costs the U.S. economy an estimated $500 billion in lost productivity every year. If you do the math on that, based on the number of people working and the estimated cost, that's in a cost of $4,638 per disengaged employee. And so to me, as an engineer looking at all that, what it's saying is that the current way of working isn't actually working. And for me, I discovered that humor was a way for me to stay more engaged in my work. And when I used it, other people actually got into it as well. And so there's all these benefits to it that have been backed by research, case studies, real world examples. So evidence-based examples of why humor is valuable. So it leads to things like an increase in productivity, a decrease in stress, an increase in happiness. At a company level, when organizations embrace it, you see an increase in positive workplace culture, an increase in engagement, a decrease in turnover, an increase in profit. There's all these different benefits that are you know factually based that speak to the value of using humor in the workplace. And that's why I say it's a must have. And the way that we work today where work-life balance no longer is a thing, and it's more about work-life integration and the challenges that we have day to day of always feeling like this, this need to do more with less type thing. Humor is this skill that can help us with all of those, the changes that are happening in the workplace. Well, and I'm intrigued in that world of, you know, do more with less, you know, some might say, hey, Drew, you know, we, we can't burn all this time just joking around and, and being goofy. We got to produce some stuff. 
So how do you think about that? I would say, you, yeah, that's 100% right. And if you were working with robots or cyborgs, yes, agree. But even something like imagine running your phone down and being like, all right, I need to be efficient with my phone. So I refuse to charge it. You would be great for about 24, maybe if you have a newer phone, maybe 48 hours. And then the phone's going to be burned out. It's then going to be dead and it's not going to like work at all. And that's one of the things that I joke about is that as an engineer, I've, I've done a lot of research on productivity. You know, I'm a huge fan of getting things done and thinking about that mentality and all that. But I've learned that it is very difficult to be productive if you are dead. Or if you feel like death too, if you're sick, if you're tired, if you're burned out, if you're stressed out, if you're worn out. And so recognizing that this was a huge aha for me in the workplace is that there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. And you can be Mm -hmm. efficient with things like computers. You don't need to motivate a computer to work. You don't need to convince it to turn on. It doesn't need a cup of coffee before it starts in the morning, right? But you can't be efficient with humans because they have emotions and feelings and because they have to eat and sleep and, you know, because they get sick and tired. And so instead of being efficient, we have to be effective and recognizing that humor is a way that we can be more effective. So you're absolutely right. Maybe it's not the most efficient thing in the moment, but it is long-term more effective. And when you think about it, what's efficient longer term? You explaining something once where people ex- actually kind of gather it, they remember it a little bit more, they understand it, or you have to explain it you know, eight times down the road because you're trying to do it as efficiently as possible. And I'd heard it, and maybe you can unpack this for me, Mr. Humor Engineer, that when we have recently laughed our brain state, the the neurochemical, biochemical situation is that you are, are more receptive to, to receive and hear and absorb information. Can you un- unpack that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of both physiological and psychological benefits of using humor. And, and part of that receptivity is, you know, you can kind of explain it more simply with a dumb question. And the dumb question is, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? <laughs> it's a dumb question, right? But you're going to pick fun pretty much all the time. So that means if you were to make your content a little bit more fun, do you think people would be a little bit more open to wanting to hear it? And and I see this all the time as a speaker. So I speak to a lot of maybe sometimes dry or more conservative organizations. So engineering groups and accounting firms and things like that. And so they're used to a certain type of speaker. And so I might go up towards the end of the day. A lot of times I'm a closing keynote speaker. They've had a lot of content, a lot of great content, but it's been on the drier side. So when I first go up, you'll see a lot of people kind of on their phones or looking through the notebook or whatever. And then I say a line and it makes a couple of people laugh and you'll see people look up from their phones and be like, wait, I want to laugh. Why did that guy laugh? I need to, oh, I'm going to listen to this guy to see why he made people laugh. Oh, okay. And then, you know, as, as a great speaker named Tammy Evans says, once you get people laughing, you get them listening. And once you get them listening, you get them learning, you get them, you know, taking action, you get whatever it is, because you're making that process a little bit more fun. And yeah, there's some science to some of this stuff, too, in terms of showing that getting people to laugh makes them less defensive, you've kind of uh, lowered the defenses or they're a little bit more likely to see things from a different angle, because part of humor is also changing perspective. So if you get people to look at things a different way, so for example, you know, maybe a silly example is, I don't like mint chocolate. Are you a mint chocolate fan? Yes, I do very much like it. <laughs> yeah, you've mint chocolate? Okay. See, I've never been eating chocolate and been like, you know what would go great with this? Toothpaste. No. Right? And so that's not necessarily going to convince you to be like, oh, I don't like mint chocolate anymore. But it's expressing that you, rather than me just saying, oh, I don't like mint chocolate and it's dumb. Right? It's just giving you a slightly <laughs> different angle that you now laugh about. And you're like, all right, well, I can at least kind of see that perspective. 
right? So it's lowering your defenses um, because humor started it. And that's that's kind of, you know, one of the many benefits to using humor in the workplace is that one, it gets people listening because they want to laugh. And then two, once they're listening, it helps them understand something a little bit more and maybe changes their perspective around it. Well, you know, I, well, now, Drew, I have to ask, you know, what's that line? Not that it's the the end all be all and, and applicable to all circumstances, but uh, we want to hear it. I, I think one of my favorite humor moves I saw to, to start a speech was this, the speaker was being introduced and they were uh, sharing all of, you know, the, the great accolades like featured in the Wall Street Journal and all these things. And, and he... <laughs> He just said, oh my, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was awesome because like, you know, anytime you're being introduced, you know, you could, you could pull that shtick a little bit like, mm-hmm. uh, because they know you wrote the bio and, right, and it's exactly. being read about you and, and for you to pr- pretend that you're surprised and like, huh, oh, wow, <laughs> it just made yeah. me, it made me chuckle. So what was your line? So I have a, a, in my bio, in my introduction, one of the ones that I like, and it's maybe not necessarily super hilarious, but I like, you know, I give my client list as, you know, Microsoft, the FBI, the International Association of Canine Professionals, uh-huh. kind of my comic triple, which because, you know, it's one of the most interesting groups that I've ever presented for. And of course, you know, kind of my joke about it is that, and it's kind of, I had that split second when I first got the emails, like, is this an association for dogs who have jobs? <laughs> it's like, oh, no, it's an association for people who are dog trainers. And that's one of the things that I love about speaking is that I get to work with all of these different groups that, oh, yeah, of course, canine professionals, one, have a title like canine professionals. And two, they have a conference where they get together and, and get to know each other a little bit better. And so, yeah, anytime you can kind of incorporate those types of things, it helps. The other thing that I've started doing is in the the bottom of my bio, I include that, uh, you know, I love the color orange, just as kind of a, a random aside. And I love chocolate because what I found out is when I was speaking in Europe for the first time, I shared, oh, and, you know, is obsessed with chocolate. I started getting chocolate as my speaker gift Mm -hmm. because sometimes people are like, oh, not that I'm expecting a speaker gift. But if people are going to be like, hey, here's a bottle of wine or here's, you know, X, Y or Z, I love chocolate. So I'd rather inform them to say, hey, here's something that you can get me that if you present me with a box of chocolates, I'm going to be delighted by. Certainly. Okay. Well, so, so there we go. We got some, we got some good benefits and mm-hmm. it's possible for anyone to, to learn, you know, this art and skill. So I, I guess, you know, where do we start or how would you orient us to sort of the, the components of, of what makes humor work? Yeah, I think that uh, the starting point is probably around the definition of humor uh, and making sure that we're kind of aligned on that because I think we have a certain mindset when it comes to what we, what we think of with humor. Uh, and, and that definition is really important. I kind of relate it to, so I was recently in the UK and, uh, it took me going to the UK for the very first time to realize that I don't speak English, right? Mm. I speak American. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, British English is different than American English. There's certain words that they say versus what we say. Like we say in the U S we say elevator, they say lift, right? We say fries, right. they say chips and chips is something different for us. We say, for the most part, we say like bathroom, they say toilets, mm-hmm. right? Or the loo. And so when you're out in public, I think that that's more accurate because if you are out in public and you say, hey, where's you know the bathroom? There is typically no bath in that room. And as an engineer, I'm like, okay, that's more specific. That's accurate. So I was like, I'm going to start using that in my language. I'm going to start asking where are the toilets or you know, refer to them as toilets. So I'm in a, a Starbucks here mm-hmm. in New York City. And I go up to a barista and I'm like, excuse me, where are the toilets? And she was confused. She was like, uh, in the bathroom. No. <laughs> right. 
And so there's just that idea that language and how we think about it is important. We want to make sure that we're on the same page with language. And so when it comes to defining humor, right, to make sure that we know what we're talking about, humor is more broad than comedy, right? Humor is defined as a comic, absurd, or incongruous quality causing amusement. And so, so often people think laughter, they think stand-up comedy, they hear humor in the workplace and suddenly they're like, oh, does that mean that I have to like start telling jokes? Does that mean that I have to try to become the the class clown or a jester? And that's not at all what we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about this broader definition where maybe it's not about making the workplace funny, but about making it a little bit more fun. Because, you know, the the bar for comedy at, at work is much, much lower than, yeah, if you were trying to get up on stage and, you know, rock it at a stand-up comedy club or get a Netflix comedy special, the level of quote-unquote funny that you need to be is pretty high. You need to be getting, you know, four to seven laughs per minute. They need to be good laughs, solid chuckles, really kind of cohesive ideas, things that you've probably practiced many, many, many times before. Versus if you're just trying to get a little bit more humor into a meeting, simply having an image behind you that isn't just a wall full of text, but is kind of an interesting image that you're speaking to might be a simple way of getting a laugh. Or like you said, in your bio, having a, a quick line about like, oh, that sounds impressive. That's not necessarily the funniest joke ever written, but it is something different. And in that context, makes things a lot more interesting. And so I think understanding that definition and recognizing when we're talking humor in the workplace we don't mean about making the workplace funny, but more about making it more fun, I think is a good starting point for people. Oh, well, certainly. Well, that's great. That's really reduces some of the pressure and, and lowers the bar. And, and and it's true. I have seen certain contexts where someone tells a joke, there's a whole lot of laughter. And I'm thinking, boy, you know, if that person were not, you know, whoever they were or wherever we were, you know, there wouldn't be nearly that kind of response. So, so that's great. Okay. So it's, it's not too hard. So how should we proceed? Yeah, so the way that we kind of frame using and getting intentional about using humor in the workplace is around what we call a humor map. And the humor map stands for your medium, your audience, and your purpose. So your medium is how are you going to execute that humor? Is it in an email? Is it in a phone call? Is it in a, you know, a one-on-one situation? Because we know that your medium impacts your message. Something like sarcasm or satire, you've maybe, you know, have sent a text that's meant to be a joke before. And you learn from the other person that they they took it the wrong way or they read into it a little bit more. So sarcasm, satire, very difficult to do, say, in the text form because people might they can't see that you are joking. They can't see the para language of the body language and, you know, the tone of voice and everything that you're saying it with. And so your medium impacts it. Right. So understanding what that's going to be. Right. Email, phone call, one on one live video or live or video version, whatever it is. I have to chime in. Have you seen the Key and Peel sketch where they're texting and com- have completely different <laughs> interpretations of what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. And that's a great, you know, that's a great and Key and Peel one, fantastic, a great place to kind of share things. And also, I mean, they, they're sometimes a little bit not safe for work with with language. But the other thing about understanding kind of what we can talk about this with the map is recognizing that humor in the workplace, you don't always have to be the creator of humor. But instead, you can be the shepherd of humor, right? You can share funny things out. So if you wanted to make that point about the importance of medium, you could then share the key and peel sketch, right? Share a link to it on YouTube or Comedy Central or wherever it resides. And then be like, all right, you know, this is just kind of a funny reminder that uh, how someone says something in text might be taken a different way. And there you didn't create the humor, but you're now leveraging it in this way to still get a specific kind of result. Mm -hmm. I forgot about that sketch. That's a great sketch. 
uh, and really demonstrates that idea. Okay, cool. So so we think about the medium and, and note that some things work well or not so well for them, such as uh, do we have the, the facial expression, the gestures, the tone of voice, or, or do we not? Anything else to consider with regard to the medium? Yeah, well, I think, that, and this is where things like um, memes or GIFs or things like that can help because they, they introduce a visual element to your message. And you're seeing emojis come up even more. I was just reading an article recently that emojis are coming up in court cases as well. Hmm. And judges don't necessarily know what to do with them. But the whole point of emojis are to help you better convey a message because you can't visually be there. Now, does that mean you should, in a very formal email to uh, you know all of your clients and your boss and all that, include a bunch of emojis after every sentence to make sure that they know what message you're sharing? No. But in a more conversational kind of text, you might, if you are making a joke, you might put a smiley face at the end of it, or you might put, you know, kind of the, uh, the wry, kind of dry, winky face or something, you know, so emojis can be, you know, part of the, the communication. But a big thing is kind of really with, with gifts and memes, you might also express humor maybe in that way, you know, so it's really just understanding the medium in how it might be received and recognizing that the safest is kind of in person. Because if someone does take something the wrong way, you can kind of react to that more in the moment. You can react to it. And in text, it might be a little bit easier just to link to things, to reference other things, as opposed to if you're not a great joke writer, then maybe you're not going to write your own jokes. But again, you can like, as so-and-so said, boom, you know, quote yeah. someone else. That's good. Okay. So, so we got the medium and how about the audience? So the audience is who is the audience? You know, what do they know? What do they need? What do they expect? Because part of using humor it's not to replace the work, right? If uh, to borrow kind of from office space, if your boss is like, hey, uh, do you have those TPS reports? You don't want to like make a quick joke. And then when they say like, no, seriously, do you have them? You don't want to be like, uh, well, got to go. See you later. <laughs> See, it doesn't replace the work. You still have to actually do the work. And so you still have to deliver on what the person needs, but you might do it in a way that they don't quite expect, right? That's bringing some of the humor, or some of the fun element to it. So that's what you need to understand about your audience is, okay, what does this person need? And then how can I do it in a way that deliver against it where they're maybe not quite expecting it? Oh, they're, they know they need this information. They're going to hear a presentation about it. They know they're going to see some slides. Oh, but if I make those slides a little bit more interesting, now they're going to be leaning forward a little bit more because like, okay, how does this picture of a dog relate to what I'm going to talk about? Mm -hmm. And then you can connect how that interesting picture of a dog leads to what you're talking about. Yes, and can you provide some more examples here? Uh, another example, say you want to build rapport with someone and you know they, they need to get to know you a little bit more, right? So they ask you a question. Think of maybe stereotypical networking questions of like, what do you do? So you could answer a question like, what do you do with, you know, for me, I could say, oh, I'm a, a speaker uh, or I'm a trainer. But what I most identify with is I'm a humor engineer. So I used to be a computer science engineer. I used to solve problems in the workplace using things like technologies and computer technology and computer. Now I solve problems in the workplace using humor. So in that way, I feel like I'm a humor engineer. And so when people ask, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm a humor engineer. That's delivering kind of what they need in a way that they don't expect. And it usually leads to more questions because it's a made up term. They're like, okay, what does that mean? And that allows me to say, oh, well, I do a lot of speaking and training on the value of using humor to get better results. And so it's just something that stands out a little bit more, something that is a little bit more interesting. And then I might go into a story, right? So stories, when people ask us questions like that, story or facts told in story form are 20 times more likely to be remembered than facts told in bullet point form. 
And so if you're at a networking event, if you want to stand out rather than just being like, oh, yeah, I'm a speaker. Uh, I train on this. Giving a little bit more background, one, helps people remember things, but two, it also builds connections. So I say, you know, I've always been an engineer. I've always been obsessed with efficiency ever since I can remember, really since before I can remember because I was born three weeks early. So Mm -hmm. apparently even in the womb, I was like, I don't need a full nine months. I'm ready to go right now. Uh, So then I went to uh, the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering. And after I graduated, started working at Procter & Gamble. And that's where I realized there was this difference between being efficient and effective. And now in that conversation, I've now answered the question of, you know, I'm getting to the the point of, okay, how did I get to humor engineering? And in that story, one, it's a little bit more interesting than just kind of sharing humor engineer or even just sharing speaker trainer. But it also gives people a connecting point. If you're meeting someone for the first time, you're trying to find ways to build rapport with that person. And in that story, I've now told them, oh, I'm an engineer. If they're an engineer as well, they're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm I'm mechanical or I'm civil engineering. Now we have a connection over engineering. Or I say I went to the Ohio State University. They might be like, oh, I grew up in Ohio as well. What do you think of like Cincinnati versus Cleveland or, or Grater's ice cream versus Jenny's ice cream? Or if they're not from there, they might be like, why do you guys say the Ohio State University? And the answer, I don't know. We we I just know that if we don't say the Ohio State, then we get our degree taken away, I think. Right. Or if it's like, oh, I worked at PNG. Oh, I used to know someone that worked at PNG. There's all these small things that they can now connect to that build rapport that they're getting from me that they wouldn't get if I just said, oh, I'm a speaker trainer. Okay, gotcha. So and, and then did we hit the, the purpose part here? Yes. Yeah, so and then the last piece. Well, the other thing that I would say about the audience piece is that your relationship to that person matters as well. Because a joke that you would say with someone that you've known for 10 years is very different than something that you might say with someone that you've met for the very first time. And so understanding what is your relationship with this person and recognizing that when you're first meeting someone or if you're doing it in front of a large group of people, if you're using humor in front of a large group of people, you're probably going to be a little bit more broad, a little bit more safer kind of with your humor versus someone that you know very, very well, where it's like, okay, this person likes this type of humor. I know that I can say this and I know that they know that I'm joking that, you know, we have that, we have that rapport, we have that relationship kind of built up. So that relationship piece of the audience is really important as well. Gotcha. And then the last piece, yeah, is the purpose. And this is the most important one. And this is why do you want to use humor? Because humor for the sake of humor is fine, I guess. But as an engineer, what I love about it is that we can use it for specific results. And so we kind of frame this around. It's, it's my general belief that there are five skills at work, right? No matter who you are, what you do, it kind of comes down to five things. And any, any thoughts on, you know, from your perspective, what do you think is included in kind of, if you have a job, what types of things are you doing? Oh, thinking, communicating, creating stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So yeah, you have to be able to think, right? You're, you're creating strategic plans. You're, you're being critical. You're also being creative kind of in that thinking mode. Like you said, communicating, you are articulate the, the intelligence that you have. You're sharing the ideas that are in your head, uh, actually creating stuff, right? So in a way I would call that kind of execution, right? You're actually completing tasks. You're getting things done. For sure. Any others come to mind? Well, uh, I think about how you do it, you know, with regard to just your own self-management and care and, and energy and attentiveness. and Yeah, right. Yeah. Kind of a component, a little bit of that, this, the thinking side of things of actually creating the plan of, okay, what do I actually need to work on? How do I prioritize these things? And how do I actually get it done? What's my motivation for it? And then I would add also, like, you have to be able to connect with people, right? You have to understand emotional intelligence. We recognize that 
you know, emotional intelligence is one of the strongest predictors of career success. People who I think it's something that like 90% of top performers have high EQ, high emotional intelligence, where less than 20% of low performers do. So it is one of those skills that does tend to stand out because we work with humans. So we have to be able to connect with them on a human level and understand how they work. And then you also have to be able to lead. You have to be able to influence people to some type of goal to kind of move them. And, and every job is what we would say is those five things of, of executing, actually completing tasks, thinking, right? Strategically creating a plan critically and creatively, communicating, connecting, and leading. And so every job kind of comes to some percentage of those five things. And so what we say is, is using humor in the workplace isn't going to change those five right? They're all still going to exist. It's simply how you do those five, kind of what you're talking about, the motivation and things like that. So humor can be a how across those five. And so the purpose piece is maybe you want to use humor as a way to increase your execution, right? To execute faster. So you might use humor as a way to increase your efficiency. And so one way to do that, one strategy is to, to play work, is to find ways to add gamification in your work so that it's more enjoyable. Back to that question, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? Well, if you make your work a little bit more fun, you're more willing to engage in it. You're more willing to do it. And so this might be something as simple as listening to music while you're doing uh, you know, kind of a, a mundane task. One of the things that I like to do is I'll start to read emails in a different accent in my head just as a way to kind of stay engaged with emails as I'm going through it. You might decide to do a task with a friend and compete with them. Be like, hey, we both got to do our expense reports right now. So uh, let's set a timer and see who can get through the most expense reports in 15 minutes. Again, it's not the funniest thing. It's not a Netflix comedy special, but it's making the work a little bit more fun, changing your perspective around it so that you're a little bit more engaged with it and willing to, to do it. Yeah, you know, I would love it if you could share all the more of these. You know, I, I do this... When I am, I guess, proofreading, you know, I, I've written something and I find it, boy, when you read it out loud, it just finds stuff that reading it in your head doesn't. And so I, I tend, I don't know what character I am assuming when I, uh, when I read things out loud, but it's, it's kind of, it's almost like a, a very earnest broadcaster <laughs> who is also talking very fast because it's like Andrew Tarvin is the world's first humor engineer teaching people how to get better results while having more fun, you know, and, and so, and I don't know, I, I guess, it, again, it, it doesn't make me sort of laugh out loud like this is ridiculously hilarious, but it, it gets the job done. I am proofreading by reading aloud and I'm, I'm having a little bit more fun with it than if I were just reading the words like, you know, a school child is reading a book aloud. Exactly. And I think that that's exactly it. It makes it a little bit more interesting. And this is where I encourage in a lot of ways, you know, bring in things that are an outside passion into your work as well. Or maybe, you know, yeah, if you were a kid and you always wanted to grow up to be a broadcaster, absolutely proofread things kind of as a broadcaster. If you like, if you love doing accents for whatever reason, read it in a different accent and see what it would, you know, kind of sound like. Whatever it is, it's just small tweaks. And this is a form of humor called self-enhancing humor. And it's kind of epitomized by, there's a great quote from Kurt Vonnegut that said, laughter and tears are both responses to frustration. I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. <laughs> and so it's this idea of, hey, you have to do the proofreading anyway. 
you could choose to say, hey, this is annoying and I hate it and, uh, God, the, the, you know, this is just the worst. Or you can be like, all right, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, let me put on a broadcaster voice and make it a little bit more fun. Or let me try to be an auctioneer and see how fast I can get through it. Or let me try some of these accents that I think are are kind of fun. Or let me do it to music. I, In fact, I've just started uh, doing this because I have a bit of a nasally voice getting over a sore throat. So it's a little bit deeper now. And at times it is a little bit monotone. And so someone was saying, oh, when you're practicing your speeches, practice it to inspirational music, like put on an inspirational instrumental behind you. And that's going to automatically kind of you're going to start to add musicality almost to your voice. So these are just small things that you can do to make the process a little bit more fun. And the other beautiful thing about these as examples is that no one can stop you from doing them. So there's all these benefits to humor in the workplace. But not everyone was using humor. And so I want to understand why. And the number one reason why people don't use humor, at least according to the survey that we ran through our site, was that they didn't think that their boss or coworkers would approve, right? They mm-hmm. didn't see it as a culture in the workplace. And the reality is that 98% of CEOs prefer job candidates with a sense of humor and 81% of employees say that a fun workplace would make them more productive. Most people want it, but they, don't, they haven't necessarily created a culture of it. And so people think that it's not welcome. And a lot of times it's shift because people haven't tried. So a lot of times you can start out and it's usually received pretty well. But even if you're in an organization where like, no, my manager is exclusive, like explicitly told me no fun whatsoever. Uh, If you're laughing, it means you're not working hard enough. Uh, They call it work because it's work, not because it's play and that it has to feel like like if you work in an environment like that, one, maybe consider kind of uh, why you're continuing to go to that, but also recognize that you know, no one can control how you think. No one can stop you from, if you're proofreading these things to yourself, changing the voice in which you do them in. If you have a commute that you have to go through, no one can stop you from listening to a comedy podcast or this pot, you know, making it a regular thing of, hey, every uh, day or every Monday or whatever, I'm going to make sure that I'm listening to the uh, Be Awesome at Your Job podcast because it puts me in a good mood and I have a good time. And I'm going to relieve some stress to show up more present for my family when I get there, right? No one can stop you from doing that in your car. And so these are all things that you can choose to do no matter the work environment. And that's why it's a starting kind of first strategy that we share is that it is something that you are entirely in control of. Well, and I'd love to hear when it comes to your, we're worried about and maybe unwelcome. What are some of the, the easiest little baby steps for, okay, I'm entering a meeting. I'm doing a presentation. Like here are some safe things you can do that will make it a little bit more fun and have extremely low risk of, of folks flipping out about it. Yeah. Well, I think going back to if you're clear on the map piece, because I think that when people tend to get in trouble with humor in the workplace, it's usually one of two reasons. One, it's inappropriate humor. So there, it is important to understand there's a difference between, say, bad humor and inappropriate humor. All right. Like a joke is just not funny versus what? Why are you discussing these lewd sexual acts? Not the place. Exactly. Exactly. So bad joke. Uh, yeah. And they've, they've done studies where if you share a joke that is appropriate, but people don't laugh, there's no real negative gain. There's no like perception change or anything like that. Especially if it's a positive inclusive, then a positive inclusive joke that doesn't get a laugh just becomes a positive inclusive statement. So it tends okay. to be okay. However, an inappropriate joke, even if it's successful, even if it makes people laugh, can have a negative impact on people's perception of your competency in the workplace. It doesn't affect their confidence in you, but it does affect their perception of your competence, right? And so inappropriate humor is typically inappropriate for one of three reasons. One, it's an inappropriate topic. 
exactly like you were talking about. It's not, you know, using humor is not an excuse to talk about like sex or drugs or rock and roll, you know, in the workplace. It's not going to be, you know, hey, this is typically a taboo subject, but because I'm saying a joke about it, it's okay. And that's not true. Could be inappropriate because it has an inappropriate target. So some humor has a target that is someone else. And so if you're using humor as a way to make fun of someone, or if it's, you know, a racist joke or a sexist joke, right, that's still very much inappropriate in general, but particularly in the workplace. And then the third time is that could come at an inappropriate time, right? So humor is just one tool of many tools that we can use in the workplace. And it's not to say it's always going to be the best tool to use. So you do have to recognize that there might be an inappropriate time. So if you're firing someone, you know, that's not the time to like bust out your frozen parody and be like, I've got to let you go, let you go, not going to pay you back anymore, (laughs) right? Like, you know, I can't sing at all, but you know, it's not like, oh, this is going to make it more fun. You know, that's an inappropriate time. So I think understanding that is is one way to make sure that we keep things appropriate and that we don't run into trouble to make sure it's more positive, inclusive. And then I think the other thing is going back to the the map piece and specifically that purpose piece, that it's not just, hey, I want to be fun to be just so I'm seen as funny. So sometimes people ask me about, okay, but what about Michael Scott in the office? He was always trying to have fun. And the problem is that Michael Scott Uh, you know, this fictional character, his primary motivation of humor seemed to be validation, right? He just wanted to be liked by everyone and he wanted Mm -hmm. everyone to see him as a funny person. And that's not a great starting reason for using humor. You want to be more specific about it. Like, okay, I want to use humor in this meeting to keep people engaged in the content and help them understand it better. That's going to change the type of humor you use over, I want people to see me as really funny. And so, you you know, so some simple ways around to do that is I am a big believer in, If you're doing presentations, rather than having a wall full of text, do include more images because the images themselves can be part of the punchline and you don't have to be the one that created the humor. If you go to like Flickr.com and do a Creative Commons search for, you know, hey, if you're talking about a new initiative in the the workplace around stress management, go in and do some searching for, you know, stress. Or if you recognize, oh, yeah, and, and smiling is something that can kind of help in the workplace. Find a picture of a dog that's smiling and it makes people laugh. Or in my uh, TEDx talk, I share a picture of, you know, I say that I work with some pretty conservative organizations and will admit that sometimes when I'm talking about the benefits of of humor, they are a little bit skeptical. And when I say skeptical, I uh, uh, click to the next slide and it's a dog that kind of looks skeptical. And so people are now laughing because it's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of funny. That dog kind of looks like it has that expression that it is a skeptical looking dog. And so now they're laughing and it's just an additional kind of punchline. I didn't have to put the word skeptical behind me. I didn't need to put all the research and everything there. It was just kind of one way to keep it and make it a little bit more engaging. So I think images can be a great way to to do that. I think activities is another way to incorporate some humor in a way that uh, everyone is included. And so another form of humor, so we talked about self-enhancing humor. Another form of humor is uh, affiliative humor. And this is positive, inclusive, where everyone is part of the end group of that humor. So I think of kind of Ellen DeGeneres. And so when you're starting a meeting, you know, as a project manager, I used to start meetings with a simple question that people could answer pretty quickly to go around the room. If it's a group of like eight people or so to be like, all right, just, uh, you know, before we get started, uh, want to, uh, you know, as, as, and I've set this up before, but like, you know, we're, we're doing these questions as a way to get to know each other a little bit better and remind ourselves that we work with fellow humans and not just, you know, resources. Uh, so, you know, today's question is very quickly go around the table and uh, reply with the first thing you remember buying with your own money. 
or something that you think is what's something that you think is true for you that you don't think is true for anyone else in the room or just these kind of specific questions that get people to kind of share a little bit more about them because you know it goes back to this resource piece like as a project manager i labeled people as resources and most workplaces label people as resources and over time you start to forget that the other person on the other side of an email or the other side of a phone call or the other side of a conference desk is a fellow human being with human lives and human emotions and maybe right just maybe the reason that their email is late to you is not because they secretly hate you but because they have a sick kid at home and that's part of what humor is is doing is it's reminding us kind of of our humanity in the workplace and saying hey we're all in this together as people and so small things that we can do that can remind people that can be a great way to kind of introduce humor in a, a, a safer, easier way. And, and you also talk a bit about how to use humor to diffuse conflict. How does that work? Could you give us a demonstration? Yeah. So a, a lot of times it's just kind of becoming a reminder of that situation of kind of what the situation is and creating a pattern interrupt. Because so often our, our conflict is we get so kind of narrowed in on a, a focus or a, a problem that uh, is coming up or the conversation that's happening. And we need to just be kind of interrupted from that to kind of take a break and step back. And, uh, you know, sometimes just observing kind of giving an observation or sharing an observation about the room can help or the situation. For example, I was in a meeting at P&G and it was getting pretty intense. We were a little bit behind on a project. And so there's some, you know, kind of blame, kind of calling out and blaming people and things like that. And my manager at one point was in like, all right, everyone, listen, we need to remember that at the end of the day, we sell soap. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that wasn't to like discount PNG's mission. It wasn't to say what we were working on wasn't important in the grand scheme of things, but it was to remind us, hey, we're in this very intense argument about selling soap. This isn't World War II. This isn't the Civil War. We can take a step back. We can take a breath. And that was enough to make us laugh and for us to kind of recharge. And so sometimes it's like to say, Okay, you use a, a comment or get people to take a break and then say, okay, you know, maybe let's take five. Let's take five minutes. Let's relieve some stress. Let's use some humor, whether it's watch a comedy video or do a quick activity or everyone just go for a walk and then come back. You need that kind of space between the stimulus and the action that you create and humor can help you create that space. Well, Drew, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we talk about some of your favorite things. Yeah, so I would say there's two quick things that I would say. One, kind of given the audience that I know is listening, recognizing that there is a difference sometimes in how humor is received between men and women. So in one study, they found that uh, when men use humor, now I'm going to mess up the percentages, but they're kind of close. When men use humor, it was met with a positive response 80% of the time, I think. Uh, when women use humor, it was met with a positive response 20% of the time. In that same study, uh, they found that 90% of the humor that men used was off-the-cuff humor, kind of conversationally in the moment, and 70% uh, of the, the humor that women used was self-defeating humor or self-deprecating humor. And so that brings me to a third style of humor. So we have affiliative humor. We have self-enhancing humor. There is a self-defeating humor, and self-defeating humor is where you kind of poke fun at yourself. It's a negative form of humor that you poke fun at yourself, which can be great in a high-status position. But it's not great, one, if you're low status position. And so there's obviously some challenges, certainly with women in the workplace in terms of how status is sometimes perceived. That's something that we as a society need to work on, but it's something that is that people should be conscious of. And two, 
self-defeating humor works when it is used sparingly. Like if you constantly always use it, so the women that were using self-defeating humor 70% of the time, the problem is that people stop laughing at it because they're like, uh, does this person have kind of self-esteem issues? Are they like, is this a pity party? I don't think that I should laugh. And so recognizing just the style of humor that you're using and who you are, how it's perceived, it is an important thing to keep in mind. So that's just one thing that I want to say. So stick to typically more affiliative and self-enhancing humor is, is going to be a little bit more helpful for you. And the last thing that I'll say before I get to the five questions is if people are feeling a little bit overwhelmed, if like, I like this seems like a lot, it seems like, you know, there's a lot to go into. The last strategy, so we have 10 humor strategies that we talk about in the book. The last bonus strategy is to simply practice or strive for one smile per hour. Just try to think about one thing that you can do each hour of the day that brings a smile to your face or the face of someone else. And that gets you a starting point, right? Just think about, okay, I'm going into this meeting. How can I elicit one smile in it? Or I'm getting ready to, to have my commute home. What's one thing that, thing that I can do to make myself smile in it? That so, starts to help you to develop your humor habit. Then you can get into some of the more complex detail stuff that we talk about a little bit later or that we talked about today. But it really starts with kind of that choice and, and choosing to, to kind of practice one thing each hour. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Sure. So a favorite quote, I would say it's, uh, I heard this many, many years ago. It's a cliche, it's the best career advice that I've ever been given, which is that it is better to beg for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. All right. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? So there's a great uh, humor and problem solving study that uh, they took three groups of kids, one group of kids watched a comedy video, one group of kids watched a math video, one group of kids watched no video whatsoever. They then had to do a pretty known uh, problem called the candlestick problem. And the kids who watched a comedy video were nearly four times more likely to solve the problem than kids who watched a the uh, math video or no video at all. So it just kind of showed that one comedy as a way to, to warm up the brain helps you see different solutions and different ideas. And it introduced me to the candlestick problem, which I think is kind of a fun problem. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book? My favorite book of all time is The Complete Anthology of Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. All right. And how about a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job? Evernote. One of the big things for being a humorist is to keep a humor notebook. Anytime you're going throughout the world and something kind of piques your curiosity, write that down in a, a notebook somewhere. And I uh, personally use Evernote so that it's always on me, whether I'm on my computer or on my phone. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit, uh, I would say if I can complete it in five minutes, uh, actually do the task rather than putting it on the to-do list or waiting to save it to do it later. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate and they quote it back to you often? The one smile per hour, uh, I think, is is sometimes popular. And I think the idea that, again, that humor isn't about making the workplace funny, it's about making the workplace more fun. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Uh, they want to learn more about humor in the workplace. They can go to humorthatworks.com. We've got plenty of free blog articles and resources there, free newsletter they can sign up for, also access to the book, the online course, some of the workshops that we offer. Uh, if they want to connect with me, if they like puns, I like tweeting out puns and things like that. So if they want to connect with me on social media, if they have specific questions, they can find me at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R, V as in Victor, I-N, on any of the social media. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I mean, I would say just start, right? You choose every single day how you're going to do your work. So why not choose to be more productive, less stressed and happier? Why not choose to get better results and have more fun? Why not choose humor that works? Beautiful. Drew, this has been fun. I wish you lots of luck and, and laughter and all you're up to. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. 
I was really struck by Drew's assertion that we are 20 times more likely to remember facts shared in story form than we are in just sort of fact form. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so huge. Is that even true? I didn't do an intense fact check, but I Googled around. It seems to have a basis in legit stuff. A number of of psychologists and cognitive neuroscientists have real research and are sharing 22 is the fact the multiplier that they have come up with, which I find supportive in that some of the, the best business books, uh, bestsellers are parables or, or fables. Like uh, Pat Lencioni's got a number of great ones. And sure enough, it, it is kind of more engaging and pulls me in and I can remember some of those bits more. So stories, while not necessarily a, a laugh riot, a, a chuckle fest, are ways of bringing some more fun into the workplace. And that is also boosting performance. So I thought that was a really cool example and a nice little reminder that you might have some stats or data or figures you worked really hard to get. I've been there, but they may not resonate as much as a great story. And I love it if you could share both. You share a killer story and then you say, hey, and that's not a fluke or a freak accident. This is actually commonplace because X percent of, you know, whatever. And so you kind of got the one-two combo, one of my faves. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced are at awesome at yourjob.com slash F481. I hope you push subscribe because if you do, you'll catch our next guest. We have David Allen of Getting Things Done fame. He is back after a 460 episode break. We've got some more David Allen. He was with us in episode 15 and he's got more goods to share about getting things done, mental space, productivity. So that's a fun one. But if you want something to listen to immediately, I might suggest you check out the Negotiate Anything podcast with Kwame Christian. Now, we've had Kwame on the show a couple of times, and we recently shared an Airbnb that a bunch of people didn't show up to. <laughs> so we had this big old place to ourselves in Orlando for podcast movement. But that just reminded me that he has an awesome show I haven't mentioned recently, and it is called Negotiate Anything. I've appeared on the program. I talked about how to prepare for negotiations. And that released back in June 17th. And, and he's been uh, with us. He talked about uh, working with your inner toddler. And it's been huge for me in figuring out is, hey, am I looking at more of a, a rational, logical argument or more of an emotional argument in, in this conversation? And to speak the right language, it's really going to connect and resonate and, and meet your people where they're at. So another great podcast you may wish to check out. It's Negotiate Anything by Kwame Christian. And it's a fun one. Peace out until next time. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. 
look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.